Uh, as you can imagine, um, like, uh, like all Christian homes, Lindsay and I uh, make, a, make an effort to teach our kids the Bible at, at mealtime, at bedtime, uh, by participating in things like Hope Kids and Awana. Uh, we're always trying to teach our kids uh, the Word of God. Uh, there's uh, one story, though, in particular that uh, we were a little hesitant to, uh, to teach about. Uh, there, was, there was one Bible story that we, we thought maybe we need to wait a little while before we, um, uh, before we explain this particular story. Uh, these are the four boys that God's entrusted to us that we're trying to, uh, trying to teach. Um, can we get a picture of them up on the screen here? And so that's Ezra, our oldest, uh, in the red. Boaz kind of coming over the top. Uh, he's our youngest. And then uh, Jet is our second born. And then our, our, our third born, uh, who just turned 10 uh, this January, uh, his name is Abel. And so we sort of went from like creation to the fall and just skipped right to the flood. You know, there was for, for good reason, uh, for a while there, especially when he was quite young, uh, we named him Abel for, uh, for a reason, but we wanted to be a little bit uh, sensitive. You know, it's funny, we, we often introduce our kids and, and they, oh, you have a son named Abel. How come you don't have a son named Cain? And we're like, uh, for obvious reasons. And it was really strange too, like we were doing summer camp ministry at one point, we met this lovely other Christian family, and they had a son named Cain. And so it was really, it was, anyway, it was just to each their own, you know, we, um, we just didn't, hey, if he invites you to go play out in the field, just don't go with him, Abel, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, the, the story of Cain and Abel, uh, we're going to go uh, uh, right from the beginning of Genesis 4, right to the end of, of, of verse uh, 26. It's interesting. This story really begins and ends with worship. This is a story about jealousy. This is a story about murder. This is a story about, about the ways of this world and the reality of sin. But ultimately, this is a... This is a story about worship. The title for today's message is a Citizen Cain. Uh, Cain was not a, 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 a citizen of heaven. He was a citizen of the world. He did not want to submit to the authority and the glory of who God is. He wanted to do things on his own term. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves today is, are you a citizen of heaven? Are you of the offspring of the woman? Or are you of the offspring of the serpent. Uh, Old Testament scholar uh, James Hamilton uh, makes this abundantly clear in, in his sermon on this passage. He says, what we offer God reflects what we believe about him. And what we believe about him determines how we treat his image bearers. Cain did not make an acceptable offering to God. Because there were certain things that you need to believe about God if you're going to worship with your whole heart. And Cain didn't worship with his whole heart. Cain didn't believe who God truly was. He he didn't have a right belief about God. And because of that, look at how he ended up treating one of God's image bearers, his own brother, Abel. And this is vitally important for us here at Hope Church. I mean, our mission statement is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, which is to go and to make, make disciples, and to do it in the spirit of the greatest commandment, which is what? To love God. Love God with what? To love God like Abel loved God, wholeheartedly, that the offering is our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. We give God everything because we believe that God is worthy of everything. We don't hold anything back. And then flowing from that command to love God and to offer to God all that we are because we believe all that God is, then we'd love our neighbor. But Cain didn't love his neighbor. He hated his neighbor. So in chapter 4, verse 1, after Adam and Eve have sinned and they've been evicted from Eden, it says in verse 1, now, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Cain sounds like the word uh, gotten. 
And you can imagine Adam and Eve, as soon as the son is born, remember they've been given this promise about their, their offspring who will crush the head of, of the serpent. And they're wondering, is this the one, this is the man, could this be the offspring who is going to do that? Unfortunately, he's quite, quite the opposite. Verse 2, when again she bore his brother Abel. Abel means breath. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes where it says that all is vanity, like chasing after the wind, that's Abel. It's, it's breath. It's wind. Abel's name means breath. It says in verse 2 that Abel was a keeper of sheep and that Cain was a worker of the ground. Cain kept up the family business. Adam was a worker of the ground. And Cain followed in his footsteps. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Verse 3 says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and, the fat, and, and their fat portions. As we study this text today, we're just going to move from from section to section under uh, four headings. Here's the first one. The story begins with worship and a warning. It begins with worship. Cain and Abel bring an offering, which is what worship is. Worship is is offering to God. We, We offer God praise with our mouths when we sing to him. We offer God out of our wealth, out of the abundance that he's provided for us in our tithes and offerings. We offer to God our whole our whole bodies as living sacrifices, as we're told in Romans chapter 12. Worship is an offering. It all starts with worship. Remember, Adam and Eve were created to worship. Remember all the parallels between the Garden of Eden and the tabernacle? The tree and the lampstand and the basin and the rivers and the onyx stone and the idea of guarding it and keeping it, which is the same words that were used for the Levites. Adam and Eve were created to worship. Eden was supposed to be like a temple. And here, even now, even though they're out of Eden now, the first thing we're told that the humans were doing is they were worshiping, they were bringing an offering before God. We were created to worship. Everyone worships. The the question is, who do you worship? And how do you worship? A.W. Tozer said that, that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because what we think about God will determine what we offer him. And notice the detail given here. There isn't a lot of information that's that's given in terms of why one of the sacrifices was accepted and one of them wasn't, but there's some of the clues here in uh, in the text. Notice how when it describes Cain offering, it just says the fruit of the ground, just straightforward, just some of the crops. But when it describes Abel's offering, notice that he brings the firstborn of the flock and also the fat portion. This offering was first and this offering was fat. And those two additional descriptions reveal that Abel brought his very best in worship. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, still he Speaks. It's interesting. Abel never speaks in Genesis 4. His blood speaks. And in Hebrews chapter 4, his blood continues to speak about righteousness and about justice. But Abel made an, a sacrifice by faith. And his faith was expressed by giving an offering from his first, from his best, from his fattest sheep that he could offer. He gave God his everything. And that is what we are called to do as well. You see, too often when we come to worship or we're driving home on our way to to Swiss Chalet or wherever we're going after church, we're like, well, what did you think about church today? We're like, well, I didn't really get anything out of it. That's not the question we should be asking. I love how H.B. Charles talks about this, this passage in his excellent book on worship. He says, the first recorded act of worship was definitely not about what Cain and Abel got out of it. It was about whether God was pleased. 
That should be the question that we should be asking ourselves in the drive home is, was God pleased with, with the worship that I offered to him? Am I all in in the way that I am worshiping? It says at the end of verse four, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. It wasn't about the offering. It was about Abel and his heart and his faith and what he believed about God. And because he believed that about God, his offering was different. He brought his first and he brought his best. His theology informed his doxology. What he believed and knew about God affected the way that he worshiped God. And then it says in verse 5, but for Cain and for his offering. Again, God wasn't just evaluating the offering. He was also evaluating Cain and Cain's heart and what Cain believed about God. Part of our church family member uh, uh, commitment here at Hope is to commit to gathering weekly to participate wholeheartedly in communal worship. Are we participating wholeheartedly? Are we, are we present? Are we a punctual? Are we participating? Are we all in? Here's some questions we can be asking ourselves. Is my spirit convicted by God's holiness when I worship? Is my mind cleansed by God's word? Is my heart captured by God's love? Is my will conformed to God's plan? Is my life connected to to God's people who I'm worshiping with? It's not just an individual event. And then lastly, is my body language consistent with all of the above? Because if all of those things are happening on the inside, if we believe all of those things about God, and if our will and our mind and our spirit are all engaged, then why is our body doing something totally different? Loved ones, we're called to participate wholeheartedly. Abel brought from his first and from his fattest of the flock. How do we know for sure that Cain's heart wasn't into it? Well, look, look at Cain's response. In verse 5, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. If Cain knew the true purpose of worship, if Cain knew that the, the most important question of worship is not, am I getting something out of it, but is God pleased? If Cain realized that God wasn't pleased, then it would have been real simple for Cain. He just would have said, God What can I do to please you? And God would have been able to tell him. But instead, Cain gets angry that he's not accepted. How many of our neighbors and our friends, how many uh, broadcasters and uh, celebrities, how often do we hear this? I just don't understand why God can't accept me. That's Cain. That's Cain speaking. Do you want God to accept you on your terms? Or is God allowed to accept you on his terms? Why, why do you get to set the terms? I would never believe in a God who wouldn't accept someone who lives this way or believes it. God is God. He sets the terms. He's the one who decides what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And Cain's very reaction of anger and having his face fall shows that what he believes about God is just wrong. He believes that God should adapt and adjust to Cain's offerings rather than Cain adjusting his offering to God. And yet look how merciful God is in verse 6. God speaks to Cain. He doesn't doesn't say, you know what, forget about you. Your offering was not acceptable. Now your attitude is not acceptable. So I'm just done with you, Cain. No, but God is so merciful and so patient. God goes to Cain and he says, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Verse seven, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain's face was fallen. That word accepted means your face will be lifted. it's It's like Cain is there with his head down and God is just lovingly and gently putting his, his hands on his chin and saying, listen, your head could be lifted. Look at me, Cain. Look, I love you. I, I created you. 
Why are you angry? Why is your head down? Your head could be lifted up if you would do well, if you would just not be about yourself and be about living for my glory. And then he gives him this warning. He says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule it. God says, Cain, the, the, the door you're about to go through, you, you need to understand, you're, you're not on a good path. You need to turn around. You need to repent. Because waiting on the other side of that door, there is sin. There is this beast that is wanting to devour you, to destroy you. The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. And God says, I want to give you life, Cain, and life abundantly. He warns him, just like we're warned in the, in the New Testament, that, that, that the devil, that we're to be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. God warned Cain to, to live cautiously, to be careful, to think about his attitude and his actions, and where will this ultimately lead? But sadly, Cain doesn't follow the instructions or the warning that God gives him. God has spoken to Cain. Now Cain is going to speak to Abel. Verse 8, Cain spoke uh, to Abel. And in the the Hebrew, it it kind of just stops there. It's like an incomplete sentence. Some manuscripts, as you can see, there's probably a footnote in your Bible. Some manuscripts add that, that Cain said something like, let's go out to the field Uh, to Abel. It says in verse 8, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. This is the first human being born on planet earth, murdering the next, this is how progressive sin is. We're, we're We're just one generation in from eating fruit and now we are into premeditated murder. This is how sin uh, progresses when it is unchecked. And he killed his own brother. And here's what so often happens within our family. This is what happens in politics. This is what happens in our culture. This is what happens around the world. That when someone decides they don't like God and his ways and his rules... They immediately turn on people who try to follow God and his ways and his rules. That's why people in Turkey, where Noah Stone is right now, that uh, the earthquake is a hardship that they're facing as churches, but there's all kinds of other hardships that they are facing as churches there as well, politically and socially and culturally. That is why in recent years, about 5,600 Christians were uh, murdered. I believe these are 2002 stats. 6,000 were imprisoned. 4,000 kidnapped. Thousands of Christians. People who don't want to follow God's ways and God's word and, 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 and his rules then turn on people who do want to follow God's ways and rules. So Cain turned on Abel. People of this world turn on Christians. It happens in our own culture. People get canceled or ridiculed or mocked or fired from their jobs or sued and, and brought dragged into court. Why? Because they believe what God says and are trying to follow God's way and God's word and God's rules. It happens time and time again. This is what happened with Cain and with Abel. And it happens in our world as well. So it begins with worship and a warning, a a worship that Cain refuses to give, a warning that Cain refuses to heed, and then that leads us to this next section as we have confrontation and curse. Again, look at the mercy of God. He he goes to Cain in verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He asked the question, where? Just like he asks Adam and Eve, where are you? When they're hiding. Cain's not hiding. He's walking around. He feels no shame or no guilt or no remorse. That's scary. 
And God, again, asked these questions to try to draw repentance out of Cain. The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. He's being kind to Cain. He didn't strike him down immediately. He says, where is your brother? And then Cain says these famous words, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? First off, he lies. He compounds. He's already committed murder. Now he's lying before an omniscient God. He says, I don't know where he is. And then he throws some attitude, some sauce in there as well. Am I my brother's keeper? It's scary. You see how sin compounds on itself. Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood. Remember, Abel never speaks in the text, but his blood has a voice crying out for justice, cries out from the ground. And then in verse 11, God says, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. He pronounces a a curse on him. Adam and Eve weren't cursed in Genesis 3. The, the serpent was cursed and the ground was cursed. But now Cain, because he has murdered his brother, because he has lied to God and then told God, am I my brother's keeper? Cain himself is cursed. You see, there's, there's a lot of similarities between Adam and Cain. Both were workers of the soil. God asked both of them where they're both going to end up at the end of their stories, uh, moving to the east. But there's some, there's some significant differences between Adam and Cain. Cain feels no shame. He wasn't hiding. He was just walking around. I dare somebody to ask me where Abel is. And, he, and then Cain protests his punishment. Adam and Eve, you know, they, they knew they were guilty. And in fact, they marveled that they were still going to be able to have offspring. They marveled that God still made a promise to them. They, they marveled that God took away their fig leaf and gave them animal skins to cover their shame. And they knew that God was being so merciful to them. Not so with Cain. It's a very scary situation when you think about Cain's heart. God says to him in verse 12, after he cursed him, he said, When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. He complains about his punishment. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain is like, God, you, you can't do this to me. Someone's going to kill me. And again, if I were God, I would be, oh right, like how you killed Abel? Someone's going someone's to kill me. I, I, can't, I can't bear this. I don't want to die. You don't want to die like, like Abel? Are you not thinking about your brother? Are you not thinking about your poor parents? You, you killed their son. And, and you're worried about, about getting killed yourself. It, it just, Cain doesn't care about God. And because Cain doesn't care about God, he doesn't care about Abel. He doesn't care about Adam and Eve. He doesn't care about his parents. Cain only cares about who? Cain himself. He's a lover of self. He's only out. Listen, I'm going to offer to God, you know, some fruit from the ground because I want to keep the stuff to myself. And I'm angry because I want God to accept me on my terms. And I'm angry at Abel because every time I think about him, I think about the judgment of God. And so I'm going to kill Abel. And I don't want to put up with the punishment that God is giving to me. But again, notice, notice the mercy of God. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who found him should attack him. This is how loving 
God is. Even in meeting out judgment, remember, even when he judged Adam and Eve, he still covered their shame. He still told them that they were going to have offspring. That they were still image bearers. There was still a promise for them. And even with Cain, even while he is being cursed, God is putting this mark on him. We don't know what the mark is. If we were supposed to know what the mark was, the Bible would have told us what the mark was. And then there's this sevenfold vengeance. God says, Cain, listen, I, I'm going to have your back. God is so merciful. You see, here's the, here's the scary thing about Cain. There, there are some similarities between Adam and Cain and some differences between Adam and Cain. But what's being revealed here is that Cain is not really one of those offspring that Adam and Eve were hoping for. One of the offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, that Cain is actually one of the first offspring of the serpent. Look at the similarities between Cain and the, and the serpent on the next slide here. Uh, he lies. I don't, I don't know where... I, I don't know where Abel is. You will surely not die. He's be acting like his true father. And he's also cursed. Adam and Eve weren't cursed. The serpent was cursed. And here Cain is being cursed like the serpent. You see, from Genesis chapter 4, we see the world being divided into two categories. Those who live by faith. And those who live according to the ways of the serpent. Those who want to follow God. And those who want to follow self. And we, we see it all, all throughout. We see Pharaoh trying to kill all the little babies by throwing them in the river. We see Goliath trying to, trying to defeat the, the people of Israel. We see Jezebel trying to kill off all of the prophets. The, and then we have people like the king of Babylon and the king of Tyre and Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. When they're described, there's all of this, all of this, this fallen angel language like, like the serpent, all of these rulers and kings and warriors who are trying to destroy the people of God. They're the descendants of the serpent. Remember, if you go back to Genesis 3.15, it says there will be enmity between your offspring and her offspring, generally the descendants in general, and then one day there will be an ultimate offspring. John the Baptist knew this difference. Take a look at Matthew 3 uh, on the screen here. John the Baptist, when he was, saw that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, you're offspring of the serpent. Jesus said, you're of your father, same group of people. He says, you're of your father, the devil, they're offspring of the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning. Cain was a murderer from the beginning. Uh, Matthew 23, Jesus goes into greater detail. He says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murder between the sanctuary and the altar. Abel was, you know, one of the first or the first murder ever. The first righteous God follower to be martyred, Zechariah, in recent Hebrew history at the time, was one of the more recent prophets who was murdered. So the New Testament was clear. There, there's two groups of people. Are you following God or are you following the serpent? What kind of offspring are you? Are you born again? Born into the family of God and offspring? Or are you... Born of the serpent, is the serpent your father? The apostle John, when he's writing to Christians, he makes the distinction very, very clearly. In 1 John 3, he says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. There's only two families. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Cain clearly did not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, right? Because we love God, it flows that we should love our neighbor. That's the greatest commandment that we've heard from the beginning. And then he says, we should not be like Cain, 
who was of the evil one. He's an offspring of the serpent and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Someone doesn't want to follow God, doesn't understand why God won't accept them on their terms, doesn't like that God has rules and and a way and a word that we're supposed to follow. And what happens? They immediately rather, because rather than accepting that their own deeds are evil and repenting of those deeds, they turn on people, not perfect people, but people who are trying to live righteously and follow that word. It's right there in 1 John chapter 3. But notice again, God is love and God is merciful and God is just and God is a God of wrath and a God of justice and a God of righteousness, but he's also a God of mercy and a God of grace. And even when he's cursing, even when he's pronouncing judgment, he's still saying, here, I'm putting this mark on you. And by the way, if anyone tries to touch you, Cain, I'm going to personally avenge them sevenfold. This is our incredible God, full of justice and yet full of mercy. This is the kind of God that Jesus would, let me tell you about my father. In, Mark, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, let me give you a sample of, of what it means to be my father. He says, he, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons. There's the reference to being offspring again. The lineage, part of the family. Sons of your father who is in heaven, not sons of the devil. He says, this is how you behave. He says, love people. Pray for your enemies, he says, for God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The way to deal with a Cain is not to try to kill Cain. It's to be kind to Cain. It's to love him and to pray for him. God is simultaneously filled with justice and filled with mercy. And that comes through so crystal clear at the cross where God's justice is poured out on the son of God and and it reveals that he is just and he doesn't allow sin to go uh, unexcused. It's poured out on his son his justice, but it's also his mercy in the fact that it's not poured out on us. That he poured it out on his own son so that we could be forgiven. So then in verse 15, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Think about that, away from the presence of the Lord. They had already been exited Eden, but they were still in the presence of God. Adam and Eve and their family. But Cain goes even a step further from the presence of the Lord. And he settled in the land of Nod, which means wanderer. He was going to be a wanderer. He settled in the land of Nod and he settles east of Eden, further east. Verse 17 says that Cain knew his wife. Where did his wife come from? It was his sister. It's just straightforward. I know, I know you sort of squirm at that truth. Leviticus 19 eventually um, rules, it, you know, rules it out as the human race populated the, the, uh, the planet, but we all came from the same parents. And so that meant that brothers married sisters in the book of Genesis. I know it's weird, but there's no other explanation for how we got here. There wasn't Adam and Eve and then, he, then God from the ground and from some other ribs made some other, no, he married his sister, Sorry. That's just what. (laughs) But they conceived. Cain is still an image bearer. He still has the opportunity and the blessing of being fruitful and multiply. God does punish Cain, but Cain still gets all of these benefits. He's causing the sun to shine on Cain, the rain to fall on Cain. He's allowed to experience the blessing of having children. She conceived him. 
and bore a son. And then it says, and, and when he built a city. Well, again, I don't know what's going on here. Cain was supposed to be a wanderer. Is this just disobedience? No, I'm going to build a city. God says I'm supposed to wander. I'm not going to wander. I'm going to show God. I'm going to build a city. He called the name of the city after his son, uh, Enoch. To Enoch was born, born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered uh, Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zilhah, and Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Verse 22, Zilhah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Under this heading, I just want you to jot down development and depravity. Development and depravity. Here we have the first city. We have the first development of an economy. We have this growing uh, livestock industry. We have the development of, of culture, music, musical instruments. We have the development of technology with bronze being established. Human beings under the line of Cain are developing Developing culture, developing the economy, developing technology, but they're also developing in depravity. Lamech marries two wives. He's, Lamech goes against God's a perfect plan for one man and one woman for one lifetime. The two shall become one flesh. And we see sexual immorality here. And this, I just snuck it in there. This is our first genealogy in Genesis. There's plenty more to come, believe me. The, the, the first gene genealogy, and it's of the descendants of Cain, the one who went out, out of the presence of the Lord, east of Eden. And Lamech, this guy who marries these two wives, he is the seventh in line from Adam. The seventh generation. And we have sort of this full picture of depravity running its course in humanity. We have sexual immorality and then we're going to see in this little song that he writes. We have, the, uh, we, we have uh, violence and evil and revenge. Only seven, one, one generation in and we have murder. Seven generations in we have sexual immorality and more and more murder and violence. Verse 20, uh, Jabel, that, means, uh, that name means mountain. And he was the guy who really developed the livestock a market. And he had all of these, all of these animals. And, and that was the essence of, of, of the economy at the time. You traded from one flock to another. And so we have economic development taking place. And then Jubal with the lyre and the pipe. He was the one who was driving music and art and culture. And then in verse 22, Tubal Cain. So I'm sorry, Jubal means stream. Jabal means mountain. Tubal means world. And notice how Cain, like again, I just thought that was so funny. I mean, this was a great family that named their son Cain. I don't know why they did it. Hopefully they didn't spell it the same way, but you don't really name, like Cain's not someone you name someone. Like you don't name your baby after Cain, right? But here, Tubal Cain, like they're celebrating Cain. Like he's someone who should be honored. I'm going to name my child. I'm going to get a, a Cain tattoo on my, on my arm. I'm going to name my firstborn, ch my, 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 my child after Cain. And Tubal means world. World of Cain is what Tubal Cain means. Who does the world belong to? Who dominates the world? Cain. Who's in charge of the economy? Cain. Who's in charge of arts and culture and music? Cain. Who's in charge of technology and industry and development? Cain. Who seems to be winning? Cain. It's Cain's world. That's how they're naming their kids. And loved ones, when we troll the feed or watch the news or, or talk, it seems like Cain is winning. It seems like the ones who are away from the presence of the Lord, they're the ones who are developing the economy and introducing new technology and in charge of all of arts and culture and music and drama and all. Doesn't it seem that way? 
It was that way back then. Who thought genealogies were boring? Who who would have thought that these names in Genesis chapter 4 would give exact insight into our world today? And then we're given this little sample, this little preview of the kind of music that they were making with the the musical instruments. Here's Lamech's song in verse 23. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. He starts by singing about his sexual immorality. And then in, in verse 23, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. He's singing a song about sexual immorality and violence. Imagine. Imagine popular music glorifying sexual immorality and violence. Who would have thought? You know what's funny when you start going through like your favorite mixtapes and stuff like that when you have kids, right? Or a song comes on the radio and you're like, turn it up. All right, kids, this is one of my favorite songs when I was in high school. Turn it down, turn it down. (laughs) How much of the music that we listen to today, even on our way into church or our way home from church, glorifies sexual immorality and violence? It's really convicting. And the, the, the timing of this message is just weird because sometimes it's like subtle. I remember there was this 80s song that I, that I really liked and then a friend of mine said the lyrics of that song are really, are really uh, sketchy. And so I, I had to Google the lyrics. I'm like, oh yeah, I never even, the guy's singing so fast. I never really heard what, what he was saying. So sometimes it's really subtle, like some of us grew up, you know, in the 70s and 80s where it was like, play the record backwards and you can hear someone saying, like, worship the devil. But today, like, it's not subtle anymore. Like, I wouldn't recommend that you watch it. I haven't watched it, but have you read and you, have you heard about what happened at the Grammys on Sunday? Like, it's not subtle anymore. It's clear, people are clearly saying, I'm on the serpent's side. I am an offspring of the serpent. And it's being flippantly sort of celebrated, brought to you by major corporations on network TV. It's not subtle anymore. You don't got to play a record backwards to figure that out. And also notice the, the revenge that Lamech says, 70 times 7, 77 fold. If Cain's revenge, now who had promised the revenge on Cain? God. So if Lamech is promising his own revenge, who is he putting himself in the place of? God. What, what's the whole mission of the serpent to put himself in the place of God. That's what's going on here. Yes, there's development in the economy and in culture and in technology, but there's also depravity, a a whole generation turning away from God and singing about it like it's something to be celebrated. So what, what do we do in response? Well, let, let's keep reading to the, to the end of the chapter here. It, it goes back a little further west, still east of Eden, but still in the presence of God. Adam and Eve, this grieving family who have really lost two sons. Abel was murdered and Cain is cursed. But we see God's promise is still being Fulfilled, verse 25, Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. Seth means appointed. For Cain killed him. Verse 26, Seth also 
To, sorry, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Enosh means weakness. Here's the, here's the family tree so far. You got Adam, Cain, Enoch, Irad, Methushael, Methushael Lamech, Jabal, Jubal, Tubal, Cain, declaring the world belongs to Cain. And then we just got two generations so far, Seth and Enosh, appointed in weakness. So loved ones, this is the, the fourth and final thing I want you to, uh, to jot down today to remember is, is the idea of promise and the idea of prayer. That even as the world is developing, is spinning out of control, I also just want to say I'm not a Luddite, I'm not anti-technology, I'm not against music, I'm not against economic development, I believe that Christians have an important role to play in all of those areas. We just need to be really careful that we're clear about what side we're on and not surprised if we try to go into those areas. The Bible tells us, don't be surprised if the world hates you because many of those systems, just like they were then, are set up in opposition towards God. Promise and prayer. So what do Adam and his son, Seth and his grandson, Enosh, begin to do? And what should we begin to do when it seems like we're losing? Because really, it does. It seems like the serpent is winning. Abel, the, the Cain murdered Abel. The, the, the serpent seems to be winning. And then they're developing all of, the, all of this wealth and all of this culture and all of this technology. They're building cities and writing songs, saying the world is theirs. What did Adam and Seth and Enosh do? Look at the end of verse 26. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Sometimes we think there's really only two options for us as offspring of the Father, of, of, of those who have trusted in Jesus, those who don't want to follow the way of Cain. We think that the, the one option is to fight back. We got to fight. And we got to get on social media and we got to get involved in politics and we got to do this and do that and fight. And listen, there is, a, there is a time where, yeah, there are some times where we need to take a stand. But fighting is not the, not the only way. Less time reading, less time writing. More time calling on the name of the Lord. Desperately seeking his face. So some of us want to fight. Others of us, we're just afraid. <laughs> We just, we want to create our own little Christian subculture and only talk to people that agree with us or hold our values. And we only listen to, 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 to certain voices or all of that sort of thing. And we just huddle in and we don't talk to people about what we believe. We don't try to witness to our neighbors. That's not right either. Fighting is not the answer. Fear is not the answer. Faith is the answer. Faith like Abel. Abel gave his first and his fattest. He gave his everything to God. And we're to call upon the name of the Lord. And the Hebrew there is vague. It's, it's calling on and it's calling out to God, but it's also declaring who God is. In those days, people started to say, boldly say, this is who God is. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be filled with faith. Not fighting, not afraid, but filled with faith. Loved ones, the story begins and ends with worship. And what we need is to have our minds elevated to this view of who Jesus is. Listen to how the author of Hebrews brings this all together. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. He's writing to these people who were continually feeling like outcasts because the world was being run by descendants of Cain. But he says, spiritually speaking, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
We, we come to the name of Jesus, the one who was crucified, but in being crucified, crushed the head of the serpent. Fully satisfying the justice of God and the mercy of God in one powerful, unforgettable moment. And then the author of Hebrews wraps it up in the next chapter. He says, for we have no lasting city. We're not welcome here, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Loved ones, we're going to call on the name of the Lord this morning. We're going to, all our desire to fight, all of our desire to flee in fear, we're going to come filled with faith. We're going to lift our voices and wholeheartedly worship the one who was crucified and who crushed the head of the serpent. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, coming to you in the power of your Holy Spirit, coming, Lord God, coming in the name of Jesus, asking you, Lord, that you would fill us with faith, Lord. Fill us with a faith that will cause us to give you our whole lives to you, Lord. God, it's becoming increasingly clear the, the, the hatred towards those who fear God and who love God and want to follow God in this world. Lord, here we have no lasting city. But Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would call on the name of the Lord, who would cry out to you. Lord, that we would say that you are our rock and our refuge, that we have no good apart from you. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who perfectly satisfied your mercy and your justice on the cross. Lord God, we pray that you would move and work by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would mobilize this church, Lord, to be a bastion of truth, who call on your name and who cry out to a lost world saying, this is the God who can save. This is the God who can bring light out of the darkness and order out of the chaos and peace in the midst of strife. Lord, may we call on the name and may we be faithful in proclaiming the name. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Amen.